This is A Different Perspective with Kevin Randall. A retired U.S. Lieutenant Colonel, Kevin Randall has been studying UFOs for nearly 50 years. Kevin has investigated some of the most famous UFO cases in the world and has been consulted for dozens of documentaries about UFOs. Considered one of the leading experts into the Roswell UFO crash of 1947, Kevin has written more than 25 books about UFOs, including the recently published Roswell in the 21st Century. Now, here is the host of A Different Perspective, Kevin Randall. Welcome to this edition of A Different Perspective. I'm Kevin Randall. A uh, couple of weeks ago, I had Don Schmidt on the show, and we talked about a variety of topics from uh, crash retrievals and uh, um, some of the things going on in the world of UFOs today and the, the change from UAP to UFO and that sort of thing. And the plan had also been to talk about alien abductions because that's been a significant part of the UFO um, phenomenon for the last several decades. And we just didn't get a chance to do so. We got off onto other tangents and I didn't get the conversation directed into abductions. And probably at that point, we wouldn't have had an opportunity to um, discuss it in, discuss it at the uh, proper length anyway. So I've invited Don Schmidt back to talk about uh, alien abductions. If I could say abductions, it would help. Uh, Don Schmidt, welcome to A Different Perspective. Always oh, good to be with you, Kevin. Thanks for having me back. Well, I think... I think, you know, there are always lots of areas to talk about in UFOs, and we could talk about crop circles and cattle mutilations and landing traces and all of this thing, but abductions have taken over or have used an awful lot of the UFO res resources, <laughs> well, I was going to say researchers, but resources in the last uh, several decades. And I thought it might be interesting to um, get your opinions of alien abductions and what you think are the the best cases, are, are the good cases of alien abduction, as opposed to cases that are probably manipulated by researchers and that sort of thing. So uh, let's kick it off by asking, what do you think are some of the best of the abduction cases, the ones that most likely would lead into the extraterrestrial? Well, just like UFOs in general, where as we both, you know, being students of UFO history, we uh, have uh, had a special or a keen eye of looking towards the original, the, uh, the cases that were very pristine, almost virgin in their interpretation, because there was very little else to, you know, sway or persuade an individual's, uh, you know, count their descriptions. There was very little reading or TV, movie, that type of thing. And so uh, there was a, a genuine quality to uh, the, the eyewitnesses and their testimony. And I think the same would apply towards the most early of the so-called missing time. I don't even call them abduction. I call them missing time experiences because they had very little outside influence. I'm, I'm concerned that within the last number of decades that just about everybody and anybody around the world has read, has seen, has heard, you know, some story of, uh, you know, UFO abduction uh, scenario. And as a result, they have a preconceived, you know, opinion. They have a, 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 a scenario within their very subconscious of what may have taken place. And as a result, given that over 75% of these cases have to rely on hypnosis, 
to retrieve any form of information, then uh, then one has to consider just how accurate is any of the information when it has all been you know so thoroughly coached and influenced by outside you know uh, stimuli, and so that's why I would uh, you know harken back. I think the Antonio uh, Villas Boas uh, because it was really one of a kind when it happened down in Brazil. Was it 57, 58? So really, you know, about the first one ever documented. And when I say documented, even medically uh, documented as to that something had happened, that there was a, a physiological after effect to, uh, at the time, you know, that, that young uh, uh, farmer who, uh, as I believe, went on to become an attorney years, years later. And, and then the Hill case, and, and mainly due to uh, the investigation and specifically the hypnotic regression of uh, Dr. Benjamin Simon. And even in as much as he considered the possibility of a shared dream experience, that nonetheless, they, uh, they were describing in, in many respects the, the same occurrence, the same event. And there were things that they were able to describe, uh, like the effect on the, the finish of the car and uh, things uh, that the scuffings on the top of Barney's shoes, for example. And uh, I think too often we look in the aftermath as a person is struggling for answers and trying to reason as to why them, why were they selected if that was the case. And so we tend to lump them into, you know, that level of uh, perception as they're trying to discern what happened, if it really did happen. They wrestle with that for the rest of their lives. I can only imagine how the experience may be. And I think uh, too often we've judged Betty Hill specifically because uh, she made it a, a lifetime uh, preoccupation in trying to, uh, you know, get some final answers. But can't we um, say that there's been pop culture references to alien abduction long before the abduction phenomena burst into the UFO field? And I think of things like the really crappy movie, uh, Killers from Space. Which, which, which was one that, was, that Peter Graves was in. Was yes, that, yes. Yeah, and and I mean, that's the complete abduction experience right, right there yeah. laid out in a movie that hit the screens in um, 1954. Um, not no. a very good movie, but but certainly all the abduction experiences are there from from the missing time to the unexplained scars to uh, um, some of the descriptions of what the aliens look like. And we can go back even further in uh, science fiction. And I, I realize we're limiting um, the well, abduction. Invaders, invaders from Mars, as far as with the implants in back of the neck. Yes, I, w I was going to say the science fiction magazines touched on that topic prior to the 1940s as well. And there was a movie um, from, I think, 1908 that was um, the men in the moon had come down to Earth to abduct, abduct women. So this, this idea of alien abduction has permeated our culture for more than 100 years. And I, I wonder what kind of influences that has on the way the researchers looked at it and maybe provided unconscious um, ideas to those who say they've experienced.
Exactly, and that's and that's the, that's the word unconscious. So subliminal, you know, influence as far as whether they were aware of it or not. But again, I think uh, you know that would also come down to a, a competent investigation. Uh, the the movie that we talked about with Peter Graves, I was not even aware of that movie. I did not even see that movie until maybe the late 1990s. I just happened to stumble upon it, and so I, because it was a, such a terrible movie, I guess I would ask how many people even have ever seen it. I will say, while I was living in Cheyenne, Wyoming as a youngster, uh, I saw the movie on the Late Late Show or whatever they called it at that time. Uh, and the thing I remembered was the big guys chasing mm-hmm. him down the road. Right, right. So, I, I mean, I've been aware of it since I was a kid. And you have to wonder how much... Um, play it may have gotten on those late late shows uh, because it probably was very cheap for them to use but we can also look at things like the twilight zone with the episode called hocus pocus and frisbee where yes. andy divine andy is divine. right he's the world's greatest liar explaining he just was involved in everything kind of like some of the <laughs> ufo researchers we've we've come to know but uh, and he was abducted by the aliens because they thought, you know, this was the guy that could answer all their questions and give them everything they needed. And he was able to escape from them. But we still have kind of the sort of thing that Barney Hill described in the way of what the aliens look like. Correct. Uh, blank Correct. faces and the, and, the, and the big eyes. And there was a, a Outer Limits episode called the Bolero Shield, which aired in the early 1960s as well, where they had the, the same sort of creature type eyes. And I think that some... Skeptics have linked the Bolero Shield to the Barney Barnett descriptions as opposed to uh, the Twilight Zone, which I think is much closer to an alien abduction. We always have to be careful, though, and we both know whether it's Rod Serling or, you know, some of his writers like Richard Matheson, who did uh, I Am Legend, you know, that type of storyline. How often we will go back and cite Serling as a futurist. How did he come up with that original idea given that it now is happening how did uh you know like certain uh, elements within the original star trek series and uh, we have such things today so it doesn't automatically disqualify an experience just because there was a, a past harbinger that you know suggested such a you know a, a possibility but Yes, and it was one of the things that, that Heineck always emphasized within an investigation, especially check out the, the, the people's reading material, that if you happen to sit down with them in their front room, and if there was a bookcase or bookshelf, you know, if it's, co- if it's full of UFO books, chances are they, they're thoroughly schooled uh, on the topic. But if they can you know, convince you, oh, I've never read anything, I've never seen anything, I'm not attracted to the story, the subject matter whatsoever, UFO, movie, uh, I could care less, I've never had any curiosity. And if you walk away and feel that these people are as potentially uncontaminated as you would like potential witnesses to be, then at least it becomes the basis of a potential legitimate investigation. But you have to remember one thing. Betty Hill actually asked Barney when he was in, allegedly when they were in the, the process of being abducted, if he'd been watching the Twilight Zone again. 
That's, right. that's correct, yeah. And and so that suggests that, that Barney and Betty Hill had some knowledge of the Twilight Zone and what it was. It didn't mean that they ne necessarily watched it every week, but they certainly were aware of the programming. They and had, I uh, was it uh, Sci-Fi Channel just ran a, a sci uh, Twilight Zone marathon just uh, yesterday. And I honestly, for I have DVDs of the Twilight Zone and over 4th of July weekend and be being down in Roswell for the annual festival and just knowing getting back to the hotel room and you could watch Twilight Zone episodes all night if you desired. I actually saw an episode yesterday I had never seen before. So, uh, yeah, well, again, a comp uh, you know, uh, investigation would have to establish at least that possible connection. And I think that's where we can assume that may be the case. But just like in a court of law, unless we can actually establish that point, we should just automatically, you know, well, I saw it, so I'm sure they did too. Well, I think that we have to also remember that some of this stuff sort of circulates in the ether around us. Um, and we, we become aware of these things without really seeing these things. Mm -hmm. And the one thing I remember is um, their question came up on Jeopardy about what Hank Hill did. And I knew he had something to do with uh, with propane mm -hmm, from, mm -hmm. from King of the Hill. I never watched the show, but it was just out there in the ether. And I was able to put these two facts together uh, without really having seen the program. So even though you may not have been a, a fan of the program, uh, you may have heard somebody talking about it, or you may have seen a preview, or you may have actually watched that particular show. And back in the 1960s, you had like three or four channels you could watch depending on where you lived. You had the networks and then maybe an independent channel or two. Uh, we're going to have to take a quick break. We're going to come back talking more about abductions, I think, here. Uh, see what Don thinks there are some other the good abductions. Uh, like I say, I always want to thank people who purchased the Best of Project Blue Book. Uh, if you'd like the book, take a take a chance and rate it on Amazon. Same thing with uh, Roswell in the 21st Century Encounters in the Desert, um, because that sort of thing helps. And my blog is www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com, where there's always additional information available about the programming. We will be back right after this, so please stick around. here with Don Schmidt. We're talking alien abductions this time around. Uh, when we left, we were looking at the pop cultural influences of it. I'm not sure we finished that topic, but we're going to move on anyway. Um, you mentioned earlier about the influences of hypnotic regression. 75% uh, of the cases are recalled under hypnotic regression, I think was the figure you used. Right. Um, how, how does the hypnotic regression, is that a useful tool in investigations or is it really more a way of implanting memories? I think, for example, when it's used in law enforcement, and I remember uh, when Heineck, Dr. Heineck worked originally with the late Stanley V. Mitchell down in Chicago, and Mitchell was the president of the American Hypnosis Society. 
And uh, he had developed battlefield hypnosis during the Korean War that uh, they were able to do surgeries and even amputations if necessary, if uh, one's life depended on it, under nothing more than hypnotic trance, so to speak. And then when I saw video, I saw examples, and I saw the example involving the Chicago Police Department where a witness to a fleeing vehicle was only able to recall the color of the car. And then under hypnosis, not only the make, the year, but also the license plate number. And it turned out to be absolutely accurate, totally accurate. So but on words, the other side of the coin, on the other side of the coin, there's many police departments, there's very many states that, that now reject hypnotically recovered testimony. Yes, as that's being, why as it, being it, infla- that's, inaccurate, and and the, the subject under hypnotic regression is easily led. So, um, yeah, right. I w- wonder how that influences the recovery of of the uh, abduction experiences. Same, yeah, yeah, that is the problem. And in this particular case that I described, uh, because it was obviously substantiated, because uh, it happened to be the guilty party. And uh, the reason they were able to make the apprehension was because with the license number, it provided the, you know, the order, the registrant of the car, that type of thing. So, right. I mean, uh, I'm not sure there've been cases, as we know, there've been many law enforcement situations where using faulty information or leading information, they will arrest a, you know, an easy target, a willing, uh, you know, uh, accused to wrap up a case, that type of thing. And so it always comes down to the competence of the individual. And within the UFO community, I, I find that it's always been very lacking in that you had, whether it was a, a Dr. John Mack, late Dr. John Mack of Harvard, or even Bud Hopkins, who was an artist, or Dr. David Jacobs of Temple University, uh, who's a uh, you know, historian. The idea that the only one that was medically trained to some degree was Dr. John Mack. And yet none of them were proficient in the medical process of regression, whether it be used for uh, you know, you know, smoking or weight uh, reduction, you know, dieting, that type of thing, certain eating disorders, um, and so I think it's been demonstrated that within, you know, the medical field, that it can be a useful tool in providing someone with the techniques to uh, steer them away from lighting up the next cigarette or having that compulsion to eat that next donut, that type of thing. Okay, fine. But the actual art of retrieving information is, again, if the, if the individual is coached in any way, if there are leading questions that will steer the individual into responding with preconceived answers to, you know, that regression. It's all totally false. It's, it's very faulty. And I well, think John, Mack, John Mack made an interesting uh, comment. It, you can read about it in the book, uh, Close Encounters of the Fourth Kind by uh, Bryant. And he said it to uh, Russ Estes, Bill Cohn and me, on videotape, which was he he was surprised at the matching of the experiencer with the um, researcher, mm-hmm. meaning that 
Exactly. That, that, um, Bud Hopkins got the cold calculating scientific guys, and and John Mack got the um, aliens with sort of an Eastern philosophy, and um, David Jacobs got the um, aliens interested in uh, infiltrating. 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 Yes, I was going to say in, invading, but infil, infil, infiltrating is a better word. But he said there was a curious matching, and I thought he should have flipped it around. Because it suggests an influence by the researcher to the, exactly. the, the people always went in the direction he wanted them to go. I say he wanted them to go. Exactly. And it was, it was the same argument that when Bud was still alive, when Mac was still alive, that we were confronting them with. The fact that the so-called abductees were reflecting the very persona, the very backgrounds, the very, uh, you know, uh, chase the causes that these people were pursuing. Like in Mac's case, his people all turned out to be very much involved with the environment, environmentalists. They were, they were happy that they were selected. They were vanguards. They were ambassadors who were now assigned to save the earth. And they were waving that environmental flag. And uh, so John was able to then instill this in his minions that he was regressing and working with. And so that was his influence on these uh, these abductees. And in Bud Hopkins' case, that they were being violated, they were being raped, they were assaulted, they were being intruded on. Well, his book, Intruders, you know, they come into people's homes, into their bedrooms, and uh, without invitation. And so they were the boogeymen. And in Dave Jacobs, the hybrids, the infiltration, they're taking over at the highest orders of, you know, government and our education institutions, and uh, they're here to take over, all based on the preconceived as far as belief systems of the individuals who were supposedly objective, unbiased, and just looking for the facts, ma'am. Well, I would like to say one thing here. I believe I am the first person to ever report the aliens coming into the homes during an abduction scenario. I was uh, investigating a case that uh, I, I received from Saga Magazine. I wrote UFO articles for Saga Magazine and UFO Report. And one of the uh, stories inspired a woman in Utah to write to the magazine to get in touch with me. And during the hypnotic regression sessions conducted by James Harder, not by me, um, she explained how the aliens had come into the house. And I think that's the first time in that magazine article that anybody reported the aliens being in the house. Now we have lots of reports of them coming to the house and some of them saying, well, it was started in the 50s or the 40s and, and that sort of thing. But the first time it was ever reported publicly, I'm responsible for it. Um, and, and I don't think anyone asked more leading questions than Dr. James Harder of, 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 of Berkeley. He was out to prove the Barney and Betty Hill case was true, and the way he was going to prove it was to find other people separated from Barney and Betty Hill with no connection to them, saying basically the same things they did. And I, while we were working together in Utah, I, I of course, young and naive and didn't understand all the processes going on there. But between the hypnotic regression sessions with the woman, he would discuss what had happened and other things like that. And he mentioned Betty Hill's examination um, at one point. And, and the, 
witness had never brought that up before. And in the next session, she said, um, I don't remember being examined, but I know I was. And that was a direct result of Harder's, shall we say, implantation of the idea about uh, what the aliens were doing. And, what the uh, purpose, what their agenda was. It was to examine, it was to test, it was to analyze. And what was so disturbing was the last uh, confrontation I had with Harder. And he was trying to convince me that not only are we being visited by a number of different alien races, but I remember that he was claiming that it was over 120. And it's like, and that's the person I would entrust to regress a loved one that uh, I was hoping, you know, at least to get to the bottom of, uh, you know, what may be the underlying, you know, stimulus and all this. And you're working with somebody who's out to prove that you were abducted by aliens, whether you were or not. Well, the other question that comes up from that is, if there's 120 different alien races abducting people, and they wouldn't be just abducting Americans, they'd be abducting South Americans and Chinese and Asians and Europeans and Africans, probably no Canadians, but certainly uh, <laughs> abducting people from around the world, where are all the spaceships parked? You've got to have a, a, a huge number of spacecraft parked out there so that they can make all the abductions and you've got people who claim they've been abducted 50 60 times uh so how many uh, more spacecraft are out there and each person would probably require a spacecraft and and it, the logistics of it just simply do not work out which doesn't mean all cases are ridiculous it just means that the vast majority kind of fall into the same thing as the ufo sightings very subjective yes the, the the researcher is doing an awful lot of damage. Um, let me ask you, you're familiar with sleep paralysis, of course. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I've experienced it on one occasion. And it's very frightening because uh, you swear you're wide, wide awake and you can't move and you can't cry out and you feel a presence, someone in the room, someone in the bedroom with you. And... Um, Unless you finally realize what had just you know, transpired, yes, it could leave that, uh, that lasting effect that, oh, my God. And then you fall into the hands of someone who creates the impression that, well, you may have had an actual encounter. You may have been visited. You may have been abducted. And so I, I, I experienced it myself so I could see how, again, in as, as far as uh, a false sense of assurance that it, it involves something else that you could come away believing, yes, I, I'm one of these abductees. I need a support group. Or I need a researcher to help me out. Right, right. Bud Hopkins um, said that he never led the witnesses. He was very careful about doing that. Um, and I did an article which appears on my blog at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. I, I did that just so I could make that point um, to, to show where he'd led a witness. So I went through his books and I found the perfect example of that, him leading the witness, you know, sort of the challenge accepted type thing. But you see that the operator, the hypnotist, 
isn't fully cognizant of the way he or she is leading the witness with the questions that are being asked. Um, when the witness would say, well, I don't remember anything more, describe some, something like you just did about sleep paralysis. They, you know, I couldn't move. The, there was an alien. There was something in the room with me, that sort of thing. Uh, but that's all I remember. And the next question would be, you can remember more about that. Tell right. me more. Let's go deeper. Let's pretend you're on an escalator. You'll go deeper into this trance and then you can, or you, it's in another room and you can see over the, the wall what's going on. And that in and of itself suggests to the, 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 the witness, there's something more to be told, something more to be talked about. And that they are now attempting to come up with additional memories to please the operator, please exactly. the hypnotist. Exactly. We worked on, uh, and Dr. Heineck, when we had worked on a number of cases, and we would constantly have an individual apologizing if there was nothing there. Let if, me interrupt here, Don, because I just noticed, I just noticed we're going to have to take our break. <laughs> so we'll come back to Dr. Heineck and, and, and that, that experience here in just a moment. You are listening to the uh, a different perspective on the Exome Broadcast Wet Network. And I want to uh, mention that there are many good programs on the network. So take a look at the listings on the website and you'll find something that will interest you. And we will be back right after this. So please stick around. joined by Don Schmidt. We're talking alien abductions. When we went away, um, you were mentioning that Heineck uh, had observed some of this leading of the witnesses, and I had to cut you off in the middle of a sentence there. Uh, so pick it up from that point, please. Well, I, and I think just interviewing witnesses in general, that we have to catch ourselves that we, we find ourselves at times trying to fill in the voids and we're not doing the witness any favors. And with Heineck at times, we would have potential missing time experiencers who, well, I, I, you know, I don't really think there's anything there and I just don't want to waste your time. And if, you know, we come up empty handed, if it's, you know, just something mundane, I feel that, uh, you know, I've disappointed you. And it would be a constant, uh, you know, assurance from us saying, no, 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 no. You are, you know, our main concern that uh, better that we come up with nothing than something that is going to require uh, potentially professional help down the road. If it's something very traumatic, um, we at times were involved with cases that suggested, uh, you know, family incest, for example that the violator was far from alien, that it was a loved one, you know, you know, babysitting or something. And that's one of the reasons that more times than not, it's always been, you know, our policy. If it's nothing that is, is bothering you, if you're not having, you know, nightmares or 
reoccurring dreams that are disrupting your sleep. You're becoming, you know, an insomniac or, you know, you have a fear zone. You drive by a stretch of road back and forth to work and, uh, you know, you're very uncomfortable by it, that type of thing. Otherwise, leave it alone because you may open up a Pandora's box that then the investigator should be held responsible because in pursuit of just, you know, the data, the information, when you and really think about it, how much of it has been compiled that really demonstrate the reality of the abduction phenomena to begin with, that there are patterns, that there are things that aside from being influenced and subliminally you know, as far as within one subconscious describing such occurrences that we can go, you know, and document something like Project Stork with, you know, statistical analysis, that type of thing. And so more times than not, 99% of the time, I would say, leave it alone. Don't even think about it because um, there's, there's very seldom uh, a, a healthy outcome to it especially, again, in the hands of these researchers who are, you know, using you, using the individual for their own fame and fortune, so to speak. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because I did a book um, called Conversations, which started out with a woman who believed she had been abducted. And we inadvertently moved it into a past life regression. <laughs> and um, a fascinating, a fascinating look at it she seemed to have information about some of the cases in the past that you and I could find today easily on the internet. But at the time this was taking place, the internet didn't exist the way it was. Okay. And you could not go, I mean, you'd have to go to various libraries to gather the kind of information she seemed to have about some of these, these uh, circumstances in her life. But we realized early on that it had nothing to do with alien abduction. And the fellow I was working with on the hypnotic regressions, um, we had discussed before we, we started the, the investigation that we were going to be very careful we didn't ask any leading questions, realizing that that's a really difficult task. Uh, but it, she spontaneously uh, provided these, these uh, uh, memories. It's kind of like the Bridie Murphy case where the woman in Colorado, uh, the, the guy had learned hypnosis and he was at a party playing around with it and inadvertently got the woman there to relive an experience as a, a woman named Bridie Murphy in Ireland some 50 or 75 years earlier. Yeah. And it's kind of an interesting case there. And so we ended up with the same sort of thing of a woman explaining various past lives to us um, with information that should not have been readily available to her at the time, although in today's environment it would have been. But I, the book, I think, is interesting um, if for nothing else, for the details of some of the historical events mentioned in it, uh, there's a the opening chapter for the book is on my website www.thesciencefictionsite.com for those of you who would like to take a look and see if that's something that interests you. But it it's it's kind of the same thing. She was having some trouble, and we were able to eliminate her anxieties mm -hmm, mm -hmm. by delving into these sorts of things and um, by by comforting her in that way we were able to 
make her a much happier person and that she didn't have to worry about this stuff. And we we uh, recorded the sessions and we left them. We told her, we're not going to tell you what happened in this session. When we were through, we will give you everything and you will know everything. And then it's up to you what you want to do with it. Absolutely. And it's a, good, it's a fine example as far as where hypnosis can be used, especially uh, for creating a mental block, for example, that if there's a, a traumatic uh, experience that from the subconscious keeps resurfacing, keeps, you know, coming to mind day after day after day that you could literally think that the doctor can create that wall, that barrier, that uh, it becomes not only a, a distant memory, but it's as though it slowly gets pushed out of the very psyche of the individual. So we've seen that. And these aren't UFO experiences, but again, as far as with incompetent hands, that hypnosis can be a most useful tool. But the other thing is you cannot be a therapist or a researcher. Or an artist. You have to, you have to take one track and not the other um, because the, the research sometimes collides with the therapy. Exactly. I don't think yes. I don't think some of the the people conducting these hypnotic regression sessions understand that as well as they should, and lead to even more trauma. Exactly. With, with the uh, the the victim of the hypnotic regression. We both we both recall. I mean, there were and and Harder was was a, was a good example of this, where they would do conventions, and they would travel throughout the country, seeking and as I would say, they were seeking victims. They were seeking out people that would describe a close encounter, something that, well, maybe we can flesh something deeper. We can get something else, you know, within your, your, your subconscious. And if you come up to my room, you know, tonight, you know, we can do some regression. And they would leave the person stone cold that they would open up as far as, you know, that portal into, you know, their background, you know, very something, you know, that uh, left an indelible mark as far as on their, their very, uh, you know, mental condition, and then get on their plane the next day and head home. And here this poor person is sitting there. And what else am I supposed to do? Who else am I supposed to go to? Because the anxiety level has now been elevated to the point, my God, something happened to me. I was potentially violated by somebody, something, and here I'm left hanging with it. Because the researcher was nothing more than looking for the information, not assisting, not helping the individual. Well, I think we've got a little bit off track here, but I think it's it's important to look at those aspects of it and understand that the hypnotic regression isn't necessarily a pathway to the truth, nor is it necessarily a pathway to health, especially if it's handled incompetently. But let me ask you this. Um, you mentioned the Aboas, uh, the farmer who was abducted and, and subjected to a sexual situation on board the craft, uh, some right. kind of a very crude reproductive experiment, as, as far as we can tell. Um, are there other cases, are there cases that you you find interesting that, that may lead us to alien abduction as opposed to the pitfalls of, of hypnotic regression? I'm going to, I think whenever we cite things that we've read, like you talk about you know, cases that you were personally involved with. And I, I prefer to do the same thing. 
And uh, this this happened post Heineck, and it was before, you know, we had initiated the Roswell investigation, and we were working with a family from uh, South Chicago, who spent weekends. You know, they had a a, a weekend, a summer home up in the Sawyer, Wisconsin, uh, Sawyer County, in the area of Winter, Wisconsin, and uh, they it was the husband and wife. Their two sons and a neighbor boy. Uh, the boys were all teenagers at the time, and they traveled one vehicle. The father needed the car later that evening for a pool tournament he was participating in, and so they, the, 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 the his wife and three boys just went out to get a pizza, and it's so typical, you know, in the northern Wisconsin areas. You look for black bear. You look for bear at the local dump sites where the bears come after nighttime and they start feeding at, at, at the, at, in the garbage, you know, dumped at the site. And um, they, they crossed a bridge at one point. They were eating pizza. And the next thing, they had no recollection, or at least three of them had no recollection of the remainder of the drive back to the house. Well, they arrived home, they arrived back at the cabin, and the father was pacing out in the driveway. He was just he was just getting ready to call up the sheriff because this, they were two hours late. And they just kind of laughed it off, and they went into the living room and turned on the TV, and his wife went into the kitchen, and she came out dumbfounded because she looked at the clock and it was 11.30 at night, and the kids are all anxious because there's a test pattern on the TV screen. Everything had signed off for the day. And he missed the pool tournament. He had missed the pool tournament because they were two hours late. Okay, so under regression, we only worked with her. She described that after they crossed the bridge that the car stalls. And the next thing, they see shadows coming from both sides down as far as a hill uh, leading to the road. She describes how her two sons and her are led out of the car and they left the neighbor boy in the car fast asleep, oblivious to what was uh, you know about to happen, that type of thing. What was most curious to us though was the aftermath. And in talking especially to her husband and the boys, she was a practicing nurse at the time, and all at once she develops this interest in quantum physics and celestial mechanics, and she is reading these books night after night in their bed as he's trying to sleep, and, you know, she's becoming an instant, you know, as far as nuclear physicist, so to speak. And then one day she takes off. She just leaves. And he has never, the family has never seen or heard of her since. So I'm left thinking, well, am, I, am I partly responsible for that? Because we didn't have to investigate this. We didn't have to follow up on this. And we certainly did not have to have her hypnotically regressed. So there again, as impartial as we tried to be, as much as we tried to allow her and her family tell us the story. But I think the best thing was, Kevin, in that you had the husband that could verify the missing time and that you had her two sons who also, you know, were at least witnesses to the fact that we have a couple hours we can't account for. 
Did you ever find out what happened to the woman? No, no, no. And I, I, I stayed in regular contact with him mainly for the reason that, again, you know, is there anything we can do? Is there anything we can do to help? Because, in, in, again, in many ways, I feel responsible for this. Well, and, let, me, let me break in here because we got to take a break. Oh, so, that's a good reason. Once again, <laughs> we've, run in, we've run out of time. I'm talking with Don Schmidt. We're talking about alien abductions. Um, my books are Encounter in the Desert, Roswell in the 21st Century, and the Best of Project Blue Book. Uh, Don's books deal with the UFOs, deal with the Roswell case, uh, working with Tom Carey on those books as well. Find it on Amazon. We will be back right after this, uh, so please stick around. Talking about alien abductions, um, and I was—I wondered if there were cases that he found particularly persuasive. I'm wondering about Travis Walton, Pascagoula, some of the um, sort of one-offs. I've talked to Calvin Parker from Pascagoula a couple of times. I've yes. met Travis Walton and Mike Rogers on occasion, and, and Mike uh, Rogers has been on this program. So I wondered—you uh, know—what are your feelings on those cases? Well. Um... I know there's a rift presently between Mike Rogers and Travis. Apparently the rift has been healed. Okay, good. Because <laughs> I, I always felt it was more personal than, and the thing is, I think we both were concerned that he might do something that could damage the, uh, the, the, the event itself. Well, for those, for those of interest, I, I stuck my nose into the rift between Rogers and uh, Travis Walton. And there are a number of blog postings um, in the last month or six weeks about that, including the fact that they seem to reconciliated. Good, good, good. I think, and, and mainly for the fact that they've known each other for uh, almost 50 years. So, but I, I've never considered the Walton case an abduction as much as somebody who was at the wrong place at the wrong time, got too close, got zapped. And uh, they, as I would say they, they took the paddles they put the paddles to them they revived them they brought them back so it's it's, it's different in that regard uh i've met calvin myself i've met uh the late charlie hickson before that and um i find calvin very believable is down to earth of an individual you could ever meet uh in many respects all he you know, I know he's in, in poor health at the moment, so we all wish him well. I will I will break in here to say that he is out of the hospital now and he's home and apparently is recovering. And that's the latest word I have like two or three days ago. Yes, and that's wonderful because uh, it is something life-threatening in that regard. And uh, But you talk about someone for almost 50 years was totally unassuming, who just wanted to wash his hands of the entire experience and had a difficult time, you know, keeping a job and, uh, you know, just maintaining his, his daily uh, sanity. But I think one of the most telling things with the, the, the Hickson Parker Pascagoula case 
which even impressed Heine, was that at the local uh, sheriff or the police department, when they were in the holding area and they had a tape recorder with the thought Wait, that... Well, when you say they had a tape recorder, you mean the sheriff's department had a tape recorder and neither Hickson nor Parker knew it was running? Correct, correct. I'm, I'm glad you clarified that. And the point being that they could have, you know, been joking or confessing as far as, you know, we might get caught, you know, and, you know, maybe we should, you know, back down from the. But the fact that uh, I think Hickson was, you know, just beside himself and then and then Kelvin was was praying out loud and uh, they were, you know, for two individuals that they essentially behaved the same way. And that one didn't betray the other. In other words, they were as spontaneous and genuine as one would expect two people to be in that type of a situation. And that in recent years, as you know, too, that there have been uh, a couple of additional witnesses who described seeing something that night uh, across from the river, something touched down, that type of thing. So uh, we, uh, Calvin, again, if if one were to speak of someone who was truly the salt of the earth, somebody that uh, really has never done anything up to this point to capitalize or, or, or you know, you know, gain from the experience, it would be the likes of a Kelvin Parker. I think they, we have to remember that the witnesses that have come forward or been found now weren't available in, in uh, 1973 when this happened. Right. right. And I'm always I'm always a little bit concerned with witnesses who sort of jump on the bandwagon so late. Um, but I understand, of course, the reluctance, especially in the 70s, of coming forward with a UFO story because of the curtain of ridicule that often was brought down on people who claimed to have seen UFOs, let alone seen something that would have been like the Hicks and Parker abduction. I'm always a little concerned that uh, they didn't come forward sooner. But from what I understand, there is a number of different people who have been located that are able to provide some sort of um, more information about what happened. And so the case takes on a little bit more credibility in that in that sense. But I, I still am concerned about the idea of the abduction itself, not not necessarily the, the Hicks and Parker abduction or the Walton abduction, which... By the way, I think of these as, as targets of opportunity. Uh, V.S. Boas, The Hills, Pascagoula, Walton, they were outside. They were sort of in the wrong place at the wrong time. They were targets of opportunity as opposed to the uh, other witnesses who come forward and, and have the uh, longitudinal studies going on where they're abducted from childhood through adulthood and that sort of thing. Uh, I find, find the targets of opportunity being somewhat more credible than than those kinds of tales absolutely absolutely and 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 also much to both uh, hickson and parker's credit the fact that they describe beings that were totally unlike anything described heretofore or since for that matter so they were taking quite a chance by that um just as so nice again 75 percent of these people have no recall and then what eventually you know, transpires as a result, you know, of regression, of hypnosis. Who's to say that all of this imagery, everything that these people describe has not only been um, influenced by the investigator or by prior contact with such stories, or if we accept, you know, an alien interaction at all, who's to say that these images aren't implanted 
into their memories, into their subconscious. And that's all part of the smokescreen, that if we're truly dealing with an intelligence off the planet, so to speak, that they also would control their perception of what is witnessed. I, I think that's why 10 people see a UFO, you have 10 different versions, 10 different accounts. So I think the same could easily be said regarding uh, these so-called missing time experiences. Well, we do have to look at the influence of pop culture, Absolutely. especially in today's environment, uh, but even, even back in the, in the 1970s, because as I mentioned before, there's been an awful lot of uh, television programs and movies and books talking about these sorts of scenarios uh, in, in a fictional realm. And um, I think that's one of the reasons that that wave, that summer wave of 1947 was so pristine in that even leading up to that point, whether Hollywood, whether science fiction at that time, what was the typical, um, you know, depiction of an alien spaceship? It was a rocket. It wasn't until that summer wave that we even came up with the very term flying saucer based on the eyewitness accounts. So everything since then has been, you know, heavily influenced by the pulp, uh, pulp culture. Well, not necessarily the pulp culture, but but Hollywood and everything else. I mean, the the, the close encounters of the uh, third kind. Spielberg was a massive um, production that that of course was was everywhere. 1977, and the skeptics were forewarning us that we were going to have a major wave of sightings as a result, like at Kufos that uh, everybody and anybody was going to start seeing UFOs. Well, we did get. A, a, a big upswing in case reports at the time, but they, as Heineck would say, they were oldie cases, oldie but goodies. They weren't of anything uh, recent, contemporary. They were typically of old cases that they finally had a, a, a reservoir. They had some place that they, they could go to to submit such a, a case report uh, because it was it was already eight years or. You know, nine years after the Air Force had fallen out. Well, here's here's something that I thought about uh, when we talk about the UFO waves, that one report generates all these other other reports as if there's uh, some kind of an influence there. And I've always thought of it as, as kind of what you were saying there, is that uh, one report gets national or local coverage on the news media, and the people who have had similar experiences now say, oh, I can talk about what I've seen uh, and I know where to, to go to report this sort of thing so That's that right. you do get an upswing in the reports, not necessarily because of, of the, this, um, an influence of that particular report, but they now know where they can go to report what they have seen. So you get a kind of an artificial uptick in the swings, in the sightings. Especially without the ridicule. Yes. The taboo as far as uh, mention of the very, you know, phrase. And so, uh, and I think it's long, you know, accepted that the vast, vast majority of sightings go unreported. Well, I, I, but because people don't want to be be ridiculed, and they see other people have seen the things, so and they're thinking, well, now there's there's, I guess, safety in numbers. I I can come out and say what I'd seen. Um, there was an experiment done in New Jersey just a few years ago where guys were ty typing or typing tying um, railroad flares to balloons. Um, weather balloons and sending them off to see if they could generate UFO reports. And what I found interesting here, uh, the reason I bring this up, is that the witnesses to the balloons 
pretty much knew what they were looking at. They would say, well, I saw something strange and it did this and this. Um, One of the witnesses was interviewed on Fox television, I remember, and the commentator says, oh, look, it's flashing your lights. And she said, no, it's passing behind a tree. And that's why you're you're getting that flashing of the Mm -hmm. lights. Mm -hmm. And um, a number of witnesses said, well, you know, I saw this strange light, but it looked an awful lot like a a, a flare or a balloon of some kind. So they understood what they were looking at. So I think we're more sophisticated in today's environment as well. Well, then and even back in the I think it was the the mid 50s that the Air Force and Blue Book was involved. They conducted a, a test over Florida, where they dropped sheets of red foil in a nighttime sky. And uh, sure enough, they got a preponderance of reports, people calling in, and they were describing seeing seeing red sheets of foil. They knew exactly what they were looking at. So uh, we have to always accept that people in in many respects are going to report exactly what they see. And we have to be careful of the influence of the investigators taking it to somewhere it shouldn't be going. More than ever. And as we both know, that whenever we hear reports today, we are you know quick to dismiss them as being one of ours, something that uh, obviously is our, of our technology. And uh, I think, again, it's one of the reasons that we love history, because the sky wasn't uh, so advanced 50, 60, 70 years ago. There's an awful lot that uh, we can take a look at. Well, Don, we've run out of time once again. I can't believe this happens, but it does. want to thank you for taking time to visit um, your books. Where can we find your books? Where can we find uh, information? All editions of, I think we have about six books that are presently still in print and available at Barnes & Noble and uh, certainly Amazon.com and our website, RoswellInvestigator.com. Thank you much, Don. We'll we'll be in touch. We'll do it again real soon. Look forward to it as always. Okay, thank you. Uh, For those interested, my latest book is called UFOs in the Deep State, and it looks at um, the reasons that that, um, UFO secrecy has been maintained. It looks at some of the uh, maneuvers behind the scenes to keep the information uh, hidden or to distract witnesses from what's, what they're seeing or, or public from interest in UFOs. And I think it makes an interesting case for the manipulation of the deep state behind the scenes. And I have said before, and I'll say it again, had I written the book this year instead of last year, I would have pointed out that an awful lot of the people who are in the Biden administration today are the same people who have been in powers in Washington, D.C. Uh, for literally decades, from the Clintons to the Bushes, uh, to the Obamas, that's the same people running the show again, and they have their own agendas of what's going on. And I think we see some of that manipulation, and we can see it influenced in the uh, world of the UFOs. And also, uh, I think Roswell in the 21st century gives you a good look at Roswell as a cold case, and maybe presents a little bit different perspective on the uh, on the uh, information about Roswell. The blog is www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. There's information about this show and other shows on there. Um, Those interested in my Vietnam experiences, it's www.vietnamgroundzero.blogspot.com. Take a look at that if you're interested in my perceptions of the war. Uh, I will be back in about 167 hours with a new show, so I want to thank you all for tuning in.